Welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the massive changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. into the month of September, it's finally the time that children are going back to school. Some of the children haven't been in school in over six months, and it's a huge adjustment, both for the children and for the principals and for the teachers, getting used to having an in-person school again. Now, this year, there's going to be a lot of changes. Students may be sitting behind partitions. Some schools are only letting the students come in on alternating days so that they could provide social distancing. And of course, everyone's on edge waiting to hear what's going to happen if there's an outbreak of cases where we have to go back to school at home, which no one wants. Because it's very busy, hectic time of the year, we weren't able to schedule any interviews with teachers or principals to see how the plans for reopening are going. A lot of schools started already. A lot of schools are starting soon. And we hope to bring you some interviews soon in the coming weeks. So for now, I just wanted to go back to the topic of tuition, the high cost of tuition, and just the high cost of running a school in, in, in general. It's just something that's extremely, extremely expensive, something that has to be dealt with if we want to ensure the stability, the long-term stability of our yeshiva and Beis Yaakov system. Just the other day, we were on vacation, upstate New York, far away from any Jewish community, and we were schmoozing with an with a older woman over there, non-Jewish woman, and she saw us with a couple of our kids, and she said, oh, these are your kids? And, she, and my wife said, no, we have a few more that aren't even here. And she was shocked. like She said, wow, so many kids? That must be so hard. The way the world looks at it is to have more than one or two kids is just nuts. The the cost of raising children, how do you manage it? So besides just having to raise so many children, which is difficult in its own right, we have to pay for their education because we send them to private schools, which makes it, of course, extra difficult. This is something that might be a little bit uncomfortable to hear, but there's no question that that if this private school tuition for us, for our community, would be more affordable. Many families consider having even more children. It, you know, it's one of those uncomfortable things that people don't like to say, but tuition is the most effective form of family planning out there. People are simply afraid to raise children because they don't know how they're going to pay for it. I was speaking the other day with an accountant, a CPA, and he was telling me that there's an organization called Mesila, which helps families budget and manage their finances. And he says that there's one thing that they just don't seem to get, which is how to pay for tuition. If you have a family that's making $100,000, $150,000 a year, which is a respectable salary when you consider the average family income in the United States, which is less than 60000 But when you add in there the high cost of tuition and usually the high housing costs that Jewish communities tend to have, it's just simply impossible to live. There's no money there. So it's not a budgeting question. It's simply an income and expense issue. There's not enough money coming in to cover the high cost of living. 
We're going to speak today with Rafi Ice. He was the head of school of a high school in Philadelphia for a couple for a year about a year and a half, a couple of years ago. And he's going to share with us the huge expense of operating the school. And even with a very, very high tuition, which of course not everybody was able to afford to pay, it still wouldn't cover the cost of education. Even the high, high tuition, it still wouldn't cover the cost of educating a child. So whatever program we're going to do, whatever ideas are going to be brought up, one thing is for sure, we have to figure out ways on how to lower the cost of educating. In Eretz Yisrael, they educate for far less than what we spend. Just like in the United States, if you look at at cost of education per child by state, you'll see that in Utah and in Idaho, obviously states with a lot less money to, to work with, are spending a fraction of what New York, New Jersey, Connecticut schools spend. Why? Because they simply, there's not enough money there and they make it work. They make it work with much less. Our community is going to have to figure out how we can provide education for a lower cost. Will the quality suffer? Maybe. I think it's more fear than anything else. But if we take a hard look, we have to take a hard look and see what can we do to seriously make a dent in the cost of education. And there are good ideas out there. And if you listen to this interview with Rafi, you're going to hear some very good ideas. We just have to be willing to consider them. Of course, we have to also figure out the other side of the equation, which means which the income that schools generate, it can't all be from tuition. It has to come from other sources. But besides for the income, we have to be take, willing to take a hard look at how much we're spending on educating our kids. And there are good ideas out there. Let's just consider them so that we can make tuition affordable once again. Let's go to our interview with Rafi Ice. We're speaking with Rafi Ice. Hi, Rafi. Hi, how are you? Thank okay, you so good. So, much for having me. so uh, share with our audience a little bit of your background, how you've come to the topic of the cost of running a school and the, the ideas for uh, lowering the cost on the parents and on the school. What's your background in, in, in chinuch and education? Sure. So I, um, I, I worked in, uh, now I live in Eretz Yisrael, um, but I worked in a high school in Philadelphia. Um, and um, this was, you know, just when everyone was talking about uh, day school sustainability, day school affordability, 2007, 2008. Um, and then in 2013, um, I became the interim head of school at, uh, at the school there in the middle of the year. And all of a sudden there was this uh, surprise budget crisis and I really needed to um, devote um, months to figuring out um, the kind of the kishkas of a school budget and what the school was spending money on and how it, uh, it collects the money and, you know, etc. cetera. And um, basically what I realized was that 75 to 80% of a school's budget um, is devoted towards employees, benefits, and other associated costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, kind of when I, um, when I, when I finished there and I, I tried getting into the online blended learning space, I, I, re- I recognized that, 
the only way to really lower cost is to focus on, and this is you know a little bit hard to say, because uh, at heart I'm a teacher and I still do uh, I still do a little bit of teaching, um, but the only way to really uh, low, significantly lower costs um, is to reduce the um, the the staff payroll burden on the parents. And there okay. are really two so yeah, so before we get to that, well, how, how did you come to running a school's finance? What was the circumstance that led you into that situation? Sure. Uh, so in 2013, we had, uh, we, August 2013, we made Aliyah. I was the assistant principal of the school, and then we made Aliyah. Um, mid, uh, Mid-November, um, I get a call from uh, one of the board members of the school. The head of school there had uh, suddenly decided to leave. Uh, they asked me to come back and be the interim from December through June. And he told me, you know, very explicitly that all I need to do is worry about education. I, um, he, you know, the school had just received a significant gift. I don't need to worry about finances. <laughs> famous last um, words, right? <laughs> famous last words, right? Come February, two months later, um, the school couldn't make payroll. Um, and you know, I needed to spend, uh, many months, you know, first of all, making sure that we could make payroll and Baruch Hashem, uh, we were able to, we were able to do that. A number of community members came together and, you know, really, uh, stretched, um, and, and, you know, made significant donations. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that I, you know, the person who was taking over me didn't encounter, um, similar problems. So I wanted to figure out, well, how did the school, how did the board not know that they were going to, you know, run out of money basically in February? Right. right. So, um, so when you, when you, when you were running the school, did you, I'm sure you calculated, what was your cost for per student, your cost for running the school and, and what would it, what did it cost to educate a child back then? Uh, in that school, it was costing upwards of $35,000. Wow. And tuition was, I believe, mid-20s. And the collected tuition was mid-20s, or that was the official tuition? No, the, the asked tuition. The collected right. tuition was, if I recall correctly, 15. So less than half. Less than half. Wow. Wow. And the shortfall had to be made up mostly by private donations, right? Uh, right. The, the okay. community bar Hashem has a number of... Um, generous families that really, you know, believe in providing a Jewish education to every child that, that wants one. Okay. Um, so, so could you break down what, what, like the cost, like what, 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 what are the costs that go into that $35,000? You know, what, how do you allocate the different cost centers? Sure. So um, there, there are, the, the bulk of the costs are going to be um, teachers. So you have, you know, and, and this is a high school. So you have, your Gemara teacher and your Tanakh teacher and your Ivri teacher and your English teacher and your history teacher and your math teacher and your science teacher, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and all those, all those teachers are making, you know, somewhere between 50 and $80,000 uh, per year. So they're not, you know, living, uh, they're not living large, but they're earning a, a solid middle-class uh, salary, which is competitive, you know, with, with the public schools, because we wanted to have top-notch teachers. Um, and so, you know, when you add up all those teachers, plus the 
you know, payroll taxes and, and health insurance and pension, et cetera, which is, you know, uh, another 20%, 25% of, of payroll, payroll yeah. um, you know, it just, it just adds up. And, you know, part of what happens is as follows. You have um, a significant number of students who have unique circumstances, right? They could be very advanced and they want, uh, you know, they need a more advanced math class. Now you're running an advanced math class for 10 students. Um, or you have students who are really struggling. And so you have um, remedial classes that also have five to 10 students. Um, and, and those classes aren't paying for themselves. But, you know, if the student is in a regular Chumash class and a regular Gemara class and a regular math class, but let's say in uh, English uh, needs extra support, you're not going to not provide them. But, you know, they just add it to your, to your cost. Um, and, and so basically what happens is, is, you know, there are many students, there are some students who fit into, you know, a regular program 100%. But you have a lot of students who fit in somewhere around 80, 90%. But getting them to, you know, to, 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 to get the proper education that they need, the individualized education that they, that, that they so crave, um, costs a lot of money. And so when you add all, all that up for all the students, mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of money. You know, the costs just balloon. Okay. So what was, the, what, just what was the class size when you were there? Well, what's the average class size? The average class size when I was there was 15. It was a smaller school. Right. So 15 times 35,000 is about 500,000. Uh, is that per class? Is that, is that something that the teachers, like we, that the salaries for all the teachers of that class would equal uh, $500,000 or close to 500,000? 400,000? Um, like, well, what, you know, just think about it. It's, it's, it sounds like an awful lot of money. No, it's 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 not it's not thirty five times fifteen. It's thirty five times the number of students in the school, which was one fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, each each specific class, you know, is let's say around ten thousand dollars. So if you want to have a, a special math class or a special English class, right. you know, let's meeting four to five periods a week. That's an extra ten thousand dollars. Wow. Okay. Um, that's what it is. Now, and the I, school you know, building was that was that part of the cost or that was paid for? Um, that was actually, uh, mostly paid for. I mean, mm-hmm. we had to do so it's really, it's really mostly the, the operating costs are mostly payroll. The operating costs were, uh, about, if I recall correctly, it was 78% That's payroll. Yeah. <laughs> payroll. Unbelievable. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, what, what were the, uh, when, when, when you were running that school during that period, how did you approach that, you, that, 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 Huge significant cost, and what was your method of dealing with it? Um, we had to. I had to evaluate um, what we could actually afford and what we couldn't afford, and uh, I had to, you know, inform a number of teachers that we weren't going to be extending contracts to them for the next year, um, and it was extremely painful. Um, on a, on a personal level, you know, it was, you know, these are people who, you know, when you're let go from a job, all of a sudden, like your worst fears come true. You have no idea, you know, are you, are you going to find another job quickly or are you going to just, you know, spiral? Um, and, um, you know, and also when you let, you know, not just one or two teachers go, but five or six teachers go, um, it's, 
it creates a certain atmosphere amongst the, the parents and in the, in the faculty room. Um, and it's, it's, it's very, very hard because uh, these are people's friends and their colleagues and they have relationships with them. And, um, you know, so that was a, that was a really, really challenging um, time period. Um, you know, that being said, if I really wanted to get the school to be, you know, fully budget, uh, you know, uh, budget neutral, um, it would have taken a lot more than that. These were just kind of like the, the easier decisions. And even that caused, um, you know, significant cultural challenges in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, Did the parents complain the, the, in, in the sense that they felt like you were taking too much away from the opportunities for their children? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, this class was offered, this AP class was offered this year. Why are you not offering it next year? My, my child was like looking forward to that. You know, I, I mean, it, it's, you understand it, right? right? The money in education is being spent on good things. Kids are getting an excellent education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, we, we offer more opportunities and more support than ever before, but it all costs a lot of money. Right. Right. Okay. So I think, I think look, going through the numbers, uh, off, on the back, back of the envelope numbers, if you have... 150 children, kids in a, in a school, mm-hmm. and the, the shortfall from tuition collection versus what it costs to educate a child is about 20,000 a student. So you're talking about $3 million a year, give or take, uh, of, yeah. of, of shortfall, which has right. to be raised from, the, from a community on a basis of only 150 students, 150 families, not even 150 families, because I'm sure they're siblings. That's tough to do year after year. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, it, it, it increased over time. The, you know, the, when, at the time that I had taken over was the largest, well, there's the largest gap prior. It was smaller than that. Um, but yes. Mm-hmm. How does uh, the cost, how does the cost of, of per student compare to, let's say what's out there in the public school? Um, so I, I think our school was, uh, was a little bit, uh, above the average, um, but I think most Jewish day schools are uh, fully in line, or at least their tuition uh, is fully in line with, um, with, with public school costs, meaning New York, New Jersey are, are spending around $20,000 uh, per student, K through 12. So, you know, if you take a Jewish school, which has a 40% longer day, 50% longer day, and you multiply by 1.4, 1.5, it'll come out, you know, to around uh, what tuition is. Mm-hmm. Right. The only thing is that here we don't have the privilege of being funded by the government. Uh, well, the parents have to, have to pay for it privately, and, that, and, that, and that's the struggle. Right. Well, it's, you know, it's a little bit deeper than that, which is what the OU has been working on. You know, part of the, the theory of vouchers is that it's, the parents' money anyway, right? It's the parents paying real right. estate taxes that's funding the public school, but right. they don't get to benefit from it. Benefit, exactly. Right, right. Okay. Okay, so let, let's, let's talk about some, uh, what, what, what ideas could we bring to the to discussion that would help bring down the cost for both parents and the community for running Jewish schools? Because this, this model is just not sustainable, as we just saw. Right. Um, there are really three avenues to take. Um, one is a bad avenue, so we'll just get it off the table right now, and that is Jewish day schools could go back to being the way they were in the 1980s. 
uh, teachers were paid less, there were fewer services, there were fewer classes. That, that you know, it worked in the 1980s. I think it's a terrible idea now, um, both because I think a significant number of parents um, would leave, and also because our, we would be shortchanging our students. There are really two ways to, to, to really make day school affordable. Um, the simple way, but in some states hard, is vouchers, right? What vouchers allow you to do is vouchers allow you to take, you know, X percentage of your payroll, maybe it's all general studies, maybe it's even more than that, um, and it's off the parents, and now it's on the state, or it's, you know, using the, the real estate taxes that the, that the parents had, had previously paid. Um, so it's simple, but depending on the state, it's going to be hard. So in Indiana, it's very easy. And in New York, it's, it's very difficult because um, you need the government's uh, permission for that. Um, that's, the, that, that's the first way. The second way. And then I believe that that's, you know, that's the organization, like you said, OU, Teach Coalition, Agoda, a lot right. of organizations, uh, they're, they're really, that's their primary purpose is to fight so, for so government funding for school. What I've found with some of those organizations is that they'll promote successes that aren't really affordability successes. Okay. What explain. I mean by that is they'll bring in significant money into a Jewish day school. We got, you know, millions of dollars in technology grants, security grants, food. You know, it, it's important, right? But if the, the school wasn't going to buy new computers anyway or put it in security cameras anyway, right, then it's not actually lowering their costs. It's giving them something else that makes, you know, running the day school better, but it's not solving the problem of affordability. Mm-hmm. Which it's, is not a, it's not a net gain to the, to the bottom correct. line. Right, okay. Correct. Um, so that's part of what I think has happened with a number of these organizations. Because in New York, I mean, politically, at least in this political climate, you know, I would say it's, close to impossible um, to get to get vouchers passed. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, but, you know, I love you wrong. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree. I, I think that's the general consensus. But why is that? Because um, the teachers union is um, the teachers union does not want vouchers because it takes money away from the public school. And the teachers union is very, very strong in uh, New York and New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so is that going to change? Like, we, we, this could be at least a decade or more for the, the, the political things to shift the way the way the way things seem to be looking. So that's not you know that that avenue should really be put on the back burner for now, as, as far as the way things look, right? That, uh, that that's what I would say. Right. I mean, you know, continue pushing because if you don't push now, you're not going to get it in ten years. Right. Um, but practically speaking, we just can't rely on it for the for the speaking, near near term. In the near term, that's not something that we can that could be relied upon. Right, and even in states that did have vouchers, so you know, like I see in Ohio, the, the, there's, there's a voucher program. It, it doesn't seem to come close to what we really need, right? I, I think it's only a, a grant of five thousand dollars a student. That's not. That's just a drop in the bucket, right? Right. I, I mean, it's a it's a compromise between the fact that they want to give vouchers, but they also don't want the teachers union to. Mm-hmm to strike. So they don't give the full cost per student, but in other states, they are giving the full cost. Uh, oh, really? And, and there are student. states that are, that are... I think Indiana is giving close to the full cost per student. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that, uh, that, that just in terms of, of a financial impact, Indiana probably has less than a thousand Jewish students in total. Right. <laughs> in, 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 in a state like New York with probably a hundred thousand Jewish students or more, 
uh, that that just would be it's not economically feasible even for a state to handle. I just I, you know I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine it ever happening because even if it's a a, a, a political environment that is more friendly to vouchers, just the cost to the state would just be, be enormous. Well, it wouldn't cost the state anything. You know, if, if the state gave vouchers, then and the state was willing to I mean, you know, property taxes sh- shrink, shrink its, its public school um, obligations, oh, then okay. you know it would be it would be even. But they want to keep the teachers the same number of teachers at the same salary right. as before while also giving vouchers. So yeah, that's not right. Uh, right. that that's not possible. Um, the the other avenue is to figure out ways by which a teacher can handle a higher number of students without sacrificing the quality of education. What do I mean by that? Right, There are certain tasks that our teacher does that you don't actually need a teacher for. Right, You don't really need a teacher to be taking attendance. Mm-hmm. You don't really need a teacher to be creating and grading um, vocabulary quizzes or basic understanding assessments. Right, mm-hmm. What you do need a teacher for is the relationships, is the, um, I wouldn't say the first uh, interaction of communication, but the second interaction of communication, meaning, you know, let's say the first time that a student hears a concept, he heard it from a, a, a video. And then when, you know, so you have 30 students, you know, hearing that, but there are 10 who don't understand. You really need the teacher who's going to field their questions and diagnose what exactly they didn't understand and then re-explain it, right? That's really where you need the teacher for. But the initial presentation of the material, you don't need a teacher for. Um, what's, you know, this so type of, what's this type of teaching called? Uh, blended learning, where you're relying on the teacher and technology. But you re- and, 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 and you know, beyond that, you need a teacher to help with analysis, right? A teacher is what teaches analysis. Computers can't teach analysis. Um, teachers teach analysis because that's a higher order thinking skill. If you, you know, people know what Bloom's taxonomy is. Um, it's like a, it's a hierarchy of different levels of, of thinking. So simple recall, um, you don't need a teacher for. To assess simple recall, you don't need a teacher for. But to grade an essay, you do. And even if there are some artificial, te- artificial intelligence technologies that are trying to um, be able to grade essays, I don't think they're ever going to get to where they need to get to because it's such a human concept. It's not something that can be you know, quantified um, quantified the way that it needs to. Um, so, you know, just to give you an example of what I mean. So in, when I came to, you know, in Philadelphia, when I was the head of school, one of the problems I needed to deal with was that there were like, I want to say eight students who weren't at grade level in math. Okay. So at that point, you know, this was like December and people had just like thrown up their hands. So what I suggested was that we have a blended classroom where the students were learning with a program called Alex. It's A-L-E-K-S. And there was a teacher there um, who would guide them and supervise their learning. And part of what happened was that a number of the students accelerated their learning. They got back up to grade level, right, in those, in those seven months. Because what happened? The, the teacher wasn't in the front of the class teaching or wasn't giving out the assignments. The teacher, you know, to, to put it in like kind of Beit Midrash terms, instead of the teacher being the Magad Shir, the teacher was a Sholem mm-hmm. And so what happened was, right, you could be a Sholem you could like 
assistants regardless of where they are. They could be, you know, in the first paragraph, the second paragraph, this math concept. Uh, so that on a more concept. individual basis. Correct. As needed, you know, for shortest, for shortest spurts of time. So basically what's happening is that students are having less quantity of time with a teacher, but the quality of that time that they're having with a teacher has just gone much higher because the teacher knows in that moment exactly what that, what that student needs. So what you're able to do, if you have the right tools, now it's, you know, there are lots of uh, tools in, in, in the technology space um, that, um, you know, and they like to call themselves blended learning, but it's not. There's only one type of blended learning that works. And that is you need um, a program that's going to give you a detailed report as to what the student knows and what the student's struggling with. Meaning, to say that a student got an 80% or an 80% doesn't help you. It needs to say that the student, you know, knows their multiplication tables but is struggling with division. It needs to do, do some analysis of the questions that are being, that are being answered, mm-hmm. um, of the assessments. And so if you're able to do that, then you can increase the number of students that a teacher can handle at one time. Because right, a teacher's time is the most precious resource that a, that a school has. Right, That's what they're spending the most money on. So if the teacher is spending time taking attendance and grading vocabulary quizzes, you know, and, and, and all the things that can, you know, and, and making sure that the, the, the kids read the PARAC or, you know, like just basic, you know, me, MRL, me's that could be easily answered um, it can be easily automated, then the teacher has, you know, time for 20 students or 25 students. But once that's automated, then the teacher now has time for 35 students, 40 students. And now all mm. of a sudden, significantly, wow. you need fewer teachers and you've lowered the cost of, of, um, of, of, of teaching, uh, of, of, of tuition. Correct. You've lowered your salary cost, right? right. But, uh, to spend some time on how much, you know, are, are you, purchasing the right materials, you know, at the cheapest possible cost. So let's say you're overspending, you know, by 50 cents for each, uh, you know, package of paper, right? It, it doesn't, doesn't come, doesn't come, doesn't come close to one hour of a teacher's time. To, it barely comes close to, you know, what one to two students tuition, barely. Right. Right. Exactly. So blended learning, these, these are uh, sophisticated programs, I, I assume, right? You mentioned the Alex program, and I'm sure there are others. Are they, uh, are they expensive? Do they cost a lot? What's, their, uh, what's the story with that? I, I don't recall them costing that much per year. Um, well, it's certainly know, che- teacher the, uh, cheaper than a teacher's salary. They're cheap, cheap, much cheaper than a teacher's salary. Um, you know, you have your startup costs of making sure that you have the right computers uh, or tablets um uh, the training actually wasn't was i I didn't find it to be that much because Mm -hmm. we had a math teacher who was like a little bit scared of computers um but like once she knew how to get the reports um from from alex she was able to 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 really help the students Mm -hmm. um the, yes, yeah, so I have what, I have a few questions about blended learning because that seems to be so so seems to be like uh, something that's being spoken about a lot. Uh, that's a, what I've been hearing from from the last few people that I've spoken to. So uh, just another quick questions on the on the on how this works. Sure. So for, so the, the teacher is is not teaching the material in the first pass. The, the students are first learning from the computer, and then the teacher basically is going through the class on a more individual basis to make sure that the students absorb the material? 
yeah, similar to the way that the way that Chavrusa learning works in the Beit Midrash, mm-hmm. right? The students do the first pass through the Gemara, and then the teacher, you know, part of what the teacher does is make sure that the students understood the Gemara. Mm-hmm. So is is it that each student is going to get like the right dosage, so to speak, of medicine? They're going to get a dosage of of educational education based on their academic level? Uh, that is the, the theory. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, meaning some students need a little bit longer to learn a concept, some students learn a concept quicker. Um, you know, the learning process becomes much more efficient. Every student has their strengths and weaknesses. So the student that gets through, let's say, English class quickly can spend more time in math and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So this basically breaks down the traditional structure of a classroom where there's a teacher in front teaching to the whole class at once, right? That now it becomes more of like sessions. There's group sessions, one group on the computer, one group on, uh, from the teacher. That, that, that's, Correct. that's the way I understand it. Correct. So how, I mean, how do teachers react to it? Like what's their reaction? Obviously they have to do it if the, if the head of school tells them this is how we're doing it. But what, what's been their reaction? Um, like everything new, there are some teachers who are early adopters and they love it and they, they, they want to, you know, they, they want to be part of innovation. And there are some teachers who are scared of doing something new. And there are some teachers who are scared of the financial impact and how it's going to impact their, their job. Um, so, yeah. Security, uh, yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it, the, the reaction, you know, is, is the full range from teachers who love it to teachers who are highly resistant. Okay. And what about the parents? The parents are, are you know, for, from their standpoint, they're giving up, they're having their students being educated in a blended way, which is not so terrible. But on the other hand, their, their child might be in a classroom that's a lot larger than they, they might feel comfortable. What's, what's been their reaction? So it, it's been, there's been this, you know, live experiment that's been going on in a number of communities where schools that use blended learning have opened up. Um, and are offer you know and offer a lower tuition and parents as much as they are uh, frustrated with the cost of school they're not jumping to these other schools meaning there was a school called uh, pre collegiate learning center in East Brunswick or Highland Park New Jersey uh, and it closed after a few years parents just weren't interested they mm-hmm. wanted a traditional school so it's you know. It, Parents also have not uh, adopted this this new way of learning. I, I I think you know I think math is going to be or should be the the way that both teachers and students and 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 parents um, acclimate to to blended learning because there math has a number of advantages. Number one. Um, there are very few students who neatly fit into a math class. You have a group of students who are slower and a group of students who are quicker, and then you have the students in the middle, right? But you have students on the high end who are fresher and they're not going faster. And students on the low end who are also like not fully getting everything into math is cumulative. Those frustrations, those frustrations build. Yeah. Um, That's number one. Number two is because math is like, so it's so clear what the skills are that you need to be learning. And there's very little disagreement about that. Um, meaning, you know, an algebra one textbook from this publisher versus that publisher is going to have the same material. Everyone agrees what needs to be learned in math. Um, because that's true. Um, you can, you know, the, the, the blended learning programs are, are, are much more well-defined. Um, we know exactly what needs to be taught. 
and what needs to be taught and what the skills are. Um, and so, you know, unlike, let's say, English literature or history where it's, there's a certain fuzziness to it because um, it's, it's, it's not a, a hard science, it's a social science um, or it's a liberal arts, um, the, when it comes to math, because it's so distinct, discrete, and concrete, um, you know, the, the programs have been around for 10 years and they're well-developed and they're, they're, at this point, they're really excellent. So if schools wanted to transition into blended learning, I, I think math is the place to is the place start to start with math, a subject like math. Right. Okay. What about Kodesh subjects? So Kodesh subjects is a little more is a little more complicated um, for two reasons. Uh, number one is we don't have agreed upon standards, right? The 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 mistake that people make with blended learning is they think, oh, it's just it's an online course. No, it's not an online course. It's actually not really about the, the course. It's actually about the assessment. It's about, you know, what data the teacher that's in the room actually gets. Um, and because, and basically, you know, a computer can only collect the data that you tell it to collect. But if you don't have, you don't have agreed upon standards, then um, the computer is not going to collect the, 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 the right data or give the, the teacher... Uh, the meaningful report, and so that's the first challenge in Kodesh. But that's you know that that's a challenge that we could uh, get over, right? You know, yeah. we have lists of the 300 most frequent shorashim and chumash, right? We right. can start there, right? Or yeah. what are the key words in Gemara, or something like that, right? These are places where we could start, right? It's very clear. Every every teacher knows that there are, you know, if a student, you know. Uh, struggles with learning vocabulary, Gemara vocabulary words in sixth grade, seventh grade, by the time they get to 10th and 11th grade, they've just given up, right? Because what happens by the time they got to, to ninth grade, right? The teacher was having them memorize words that, you know, that were advanced. They still didn't fully understand the difference between like, you know, Mesve and Teiku, you know, and, and, and more basic words like that. And, um, and, and so they get frustrated, but what they really need is they just need more time learning, learning, the, learning the basic words, which is what, part of what blended learning offers. But Kodesh offers a more, um, a, a, an even greater challenge. And that is unlike in, let's say, English literature, where we have, um, you know, fourth grade texts and fifth grade texts and sixth grade texts and seventh grade texts and 10th grade texts, etc. right? You don't read Shakespeare in fourth grade. Um, when it comes to Limudi Kodesh, we're basically throwing our students into the adult text, both in Chumash and then in Gemara at a very early age. And you can't really separate those out, um, or at least it's very hard to separate those out. Um, so those are the challenges. So this is something I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about. And, you know, I have some ideas, but I never tested them out because I haven't been able to, to develop them. Mm-hmm. Um, in... in um, in Chumash, I think part of the answer is to develop a adaptable interlinear translation. What I mean by that is as follows. With an interlinear translation, right, you have the translation of the word right above the word. And as a student has demonstrated that they've learned that word, the translation disappears, right? So you have students who are getting like these partial translations of the Chumash um, based on the words that they know 
and the words that they don't know. So the words that they know, there's no translation because they've mastered that. And the words that they're not expected to know yet, that they got their translation for. And the words that they're working on right now, there's some sort of assessment and assignment to make sure that they're learning the words. Mm -hmm. That's what I think the answer is in in in, in Chumash. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but that comes with its, its downside, meaning right. we're getting rid of, you know, a safer. People are are learning um, from a tablet, let's say. Okay. I, I, yeah. I mean... If it's saving a parent money, if it's saving the school money, and you know, and 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 the kids might even learn better because, you know, it's, kids today are probably more comfortable with a tablet than they are with a book. So, it might, it my might, kids, kids have to love books. I see them sitting on the couch just reading books. Right. Um, <laughs> at least some of my kids. Right. Uh, yeah. In 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 Gemara, I think it's a little. Um, it's it's going to be need to be a little bit different. I think one of the things that you can do in Gemara... Because Gemara is more, more, more about comprehension, more than just translation. Right? It's more about comprehension. The language is, is much more wide-ranging because it's both Hebrew and Aramaic. Aramaic and conversational also. And conversational. Right. Um, but I think what you could do in Gemara is, you know, if you... And, and we have all the materials just needs to be put together, right? You know, uh, there are a number of programs where you can break up a Gemara, right? From the, the keywords to the, you know, the, the, the statement to the question, the answer, the proof, the rejection of the proof, right? A number of, of key, different key phrases. So what if a, you know, a, a person was able to highlight, you know, blue is for <clears throat> the statement and yellow is for the question and red is for the answer, you know, whatever. And then instead of submitting that to the teacher to grade, the the program would just give them an automatic answer. Here's what you got wrong, and here's what you got right. Now try again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the teacher would know. Oh, this student is struggling with breaking up where this you know answer is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think that's part of the solution. Um, I, I don't really know. I, I think Gemara is going to be a little more difficult to. But not, that doesn't sound like anything grasp. insurmountable. Um, that 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 I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to make a prediction on that. I, I think there are things, you know, it could be that in math you can get get it to a place where it's where students are meaningfully meaningfully learning math at 45 or 50 students a teacher, and it could be that in Gemara it's going to max out at, at 35 students okay. a teacher because the 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 tools that the teacher can give the students aren't can can, can never be you know right. proper you know developed to the same level because Gemara is a different subject. Right. So, uh, yeah, so it sounds like it's a, this, this process is already being introduced in some schools, even in existing schools that have a, a regular tuition model. Uh, I, I think in math it is, maybe some I don't really know. There, I mean, there's a, we, we, we interviewed recently uh, we, Mr. Mr. Altaby from Halb, where mm-hmm. and Halb is making extensive use of, pro, of, of blended learning programs. Right. Both in in Limuda Kodesh and in secular subjects, so they're 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 using it. We interviewed somebody, uh, actually, a developer of a program for Kodesh called Lomde. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Lomde uh, program um, out of out of Toronto, which is also a similar type. It doesn't. It's not exactly the way you described it, but it's also kind of a blended learning model for for Kodesh subjects. So it sounds like it's being introduced, but not yet in a way where it's lowering the cost of tuition because. The class sizes have not grown, and we still we still have the same number of teachers. So, but, but you feel that that this is a, this is a path forward in the sense that if we rely more on the technology, and as a supplement, 
to the teacher, then we could actually increase class sizes, hire fewer teachers, and get better results. Correct. Okay. Wow, that sounds like, sounds like a, 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 a rosy future, <laughs> something to look forward to. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, until, at, at the end of the day, like you said, the parents have to want it. And, right. uh, you know, unless, they're, 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 unless they demand it, it's not really going to happen, right? Uh, correct. Mm. Correct. Um, you know, there, there's a school in Tinek, Yeshivat Hatid, which is, which is doing this model. Um, and I, I think that, you know, they have yeah. a, a nice, a, a nice uh, enrollment, right. but I don't think that the parents are leaving the traditional schools in droves. Right. And at the same time, the parents are complaining about the cost of school. But right. So catch 22. Offers, the school offers good things. Right. Um, exactly. Okay, this has been great. We're running out of time over here, but this has been great. I'm sure we could, we could speak a lot, lot more about this blended <laughs> learning and the problems of blended learning and, right. uh, and, 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 and what, what's a better way to approach it. But this is very good. And, 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 and I know from the medical field, uh, medical costs have also been skyrocketing over the years, and, and all the experts say technology is the answer over there. If we need less doctors to do diagnosis, less doctors to do routine things and focus on, on, on technology, which has become better and better, that's going to bring down the cost of, 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 of uh, healthcare, and, and, uh, you know, which is something that everybody needs to, to bring down the cost of. So why not the one apply to education? Between, between medicine and, um, and, and education, uh, and I think this is important because I, I, I wouldn't necessarily make that comparison. I think education, if done right, actually has an easier time than medicine because education is just software-based, whereas medicine, it's the development of the software and, and, hardware. The, and the hardware and the machines and the right. diagnostic tools right. that are going to but, but, right. but it's still becoming very accepted Right. And more and more, and uh, yeah, but but it is because the insurance companies demand it, and the and the payers are right. demanding it. So so what happens if the parents, as a group, they're the payers, they're funding the education. If they demand it, it's going to happen. Right. Exactly. Okay. Thank you very much, Rafi. If anybody wants to reach out, can uh, can I uh, share your contact information with them? Please, please. Okay. This has been great. Thank you so much, Rafi. Look forward to speaking to you again. Amazing. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0, a show exploring the changes happening to how we do Chinuch. Chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me, Aram Parnas. Special thanks to David Lichtenstein of Headlines, who inspires the show. You can subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts or on our website, chinuchshow.com. For suggestions, comments, or guests' ideas, please visit chinuchshow.com.